0: Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. You're listening to McNamara on Money the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. My name is Kirk Reed. I am one of the financial advisors at McNamara Financial. Our main location is in Marshfield, Massachusetts. We also have a location up in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. So good morning. Today, I have a guest with me in the studio, Mr. Peter Stoner. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. And Peter is here today to talk about Medicare and Medicare supplemental plans and everything that goes along with that. So we're always happy to have have you. That's this is a something that affects all of our clients as they reach retirement age and always lots of questions because it is a very, a very complicated topic and something that affects for pretty much everybody or most individuals out there. So Peter, I know you've got a little bio there if you want to maybe introduce yourself and talk about your
1: what your business does and where you guys are located and things like that. Sure, and thank you, Kirk. Thank you for inviting me back again this year. It's always a pleasure to come here. I love driving down 95 and Route 3 when there's no other traffic on the road. <laughs> it's it's just a joy. Thank you. So my company, Stoner and Company, I started in 2012. And I was 65 at the time, so it's my retirement gig, if you will. But prior to that, I worked at the Tufts Health Plan. And after that, I worked at Fallon Health Plan in, in Worcester. And in the capacity that I worked for those companies, I was the retiree sales manager at uh, Tufts for over a decade. And in that capacity, I provided Medicare products to the retirees of primarily large employers. So Examples of that would be Raytheon GE, the GIC, which is the state of Massachusetts, Verizon, and so forth. And the thing that I enjoyed about that is I got essentially to meet thousands of people because these large employers would have really large meetings. And then a lot of people would get in line and talk to me afterwards. Honestly, I felt sometimes like a priest in that the people would come up to me and they would say, what should I do? And it was like, I, you can't tell them what to do. You can tell them what the options are to do. And then everybody really needs to make up their own mind. And then later, I became the director of Medicare sales at Fallon in Worcester. And after that is is pretty much when I started doing Stoner and Company. And I did it because, and I've always loved this market. This market I got into almost as a mistake. I actually went to Tufts Health Plan in 1994 as a temporary employee. I had my own company for about 17 years, and it wasn't doing well. well and what was that? What was that business? That was a, a manufacturer of food service equipment. So okay. it wasn't anything remotely yeah, yeah. similar to what yeah. I'm doing Just now. Just curious, yeah. And I went there, as I say, as a temporary employee, my job initially was to call people who had signed up for a Medicare Advantage plan to make sure that they understood what they signed up for. (laughs) And I found that's really... I'm sure nobody did. It's boring. So I had to make a game out of it where I would see if I could do one more call than I did the day before. But also you're dealing with a market at that point who were people older than myself at that time. That's no longer the case most of the time, but it was back then. And I found that it was fascinating. I remember talking to this one woman who was 100 years old for over an hour. And I thought, geez, I just blew my goal out of the water because there's no way I can do it now. But I found her fascinating. So I decided that I would apply for a job at Tufts in sales, which I did. It took him six months to get me the job, but it happened. And then I became the retiree sales manager there and the rest is history. I've been doing Medicare ever since. I now have a couple of people who actually worked with me at Tufts. Kathy Barniak was the first person that I started working with. I've just recently added Paula Jokis who actually was a colleague of mine in the retiree sales department. So I know her very well in terms of her work ethic and her determination. And with Kathy, it was a product knowledge and especially knowledge of provider networks, which is critically important. I recently brought on someone else, Susan Galvin, who has been a broker, a commercial broker, for a long time. And so I've spent the last six months working with her, essentially training her and teaching her about the medicare market what are the rules what are the regulations what do we have to adhere to rules and regulations are top of mind right now because this is the first of the medicare open enrollment it actually starts on the 15th of October, but we can start talking about 2023 plans today, and today go into place certain regulations, for example. Now nowadays, for next year going forward, starting today, we have to record all the calls that come in to us. And it's a sort of a convoluted mechanism that we're still trying to get our hands around, where somebody will use a special number in the future to call me. I don't even know what that number is yet. (laughs) And there will be a recorded message. It's the kind of setup, frankly, where I do call that line and get that recording. I'd probably hang up. (laughs) So I just want to tell people that we have to do that. Those are the new rules. We then have to read a disclaimer. Frankly, I blame Joe Namath. He's been (laughs) advertising for years, generating all sorts of demand. You don't know what company he's... Representing, You don't know what plans he's representing, but you do have a toll-free number to call, and what you essentially get after calling that number is a call center. And call centers can be aggressive, and you're not supposed to be aggressive in Medicare. Or, or any... <laughs> sales sales function for that matter but but yeah it's not doesn't sound like a great experience there no really isn't so just a warning to everybody the rules have changed it's going to be a little different it's going to be difficult at first i think like everything we'll learn how to do it and we'll proceed accordingly now you're located in wellesley is that right i'm in wellesley paula is down the cape kathy is in lakeville Susan is in Needham. Okay. And I left off George. George is in North Andover. I think it's North. I always forget North or okay or Plain. It's one of the Andovers. So we're... Around in different places. So if somebody needs us to actually go and visit with them, we're ideally suited to do that. You can do
0: that. Yes. You can yes. make Absolutely. house calls. Absolutely. So why don't you, I know this is the radio, And but if you want to, want to give out
1: your contact information no, as far as the old phone number sure. uh,
0: or the website or whatever sure. that is. Absolutely, yeah. thank
1: you. So the name of the, our company is Stoner & Company. Our website is stonermedicare.com. Our telephone number is 781-431-7550. That's the main number, and I can connect you to anyone else who's working with us. As Kirk says, we are located in Wellesley. Full disclosure, that's my home. Home office. Home office. That's a big deal nowadays with everything virtual. Pretty common. Pretty common now. It wasn't so common when I started doing it. And in fact, that first company I had, I also had that out of my house. So I had a company in my house as far back as 1977. I'd like to think I was a pioneer in that regard. You've been writing
0: (laughs) things off your taxes for years. Yeah, I certainly
1: have. Well-spoken as a a financial planner. Yeah, yeah. And legitimately so, I might add, for anybody from the IRS who's listening. Of course, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we typically have, and we have you in, Peter,
0: around this time of year, because as you mentioned, we're getting close to open enrollment. October 15th, you said, is is the date for that. And we can, start, we can start high level. I know you have this presentation and, that you go through, and we can just work through that. And basically, so, you know, what is Medicare? How does it work? And that's where you started as far as high level explanation. And then obviously we can talk about the specifics, and I can ask you some questions, if, which, which you'll probably cover anyway, but I'll ask you questions
1: that I get very typically from clients and things like that, which I'm sure you can okay. answer. So typically when I do a sort of a Medicare 101 seminar, I talk about things like, what is Medicare and how does it work? How can you enroll? How can you enroll is critically important. I get a lot of questions about that. People inevitably will call me prior to their 65th birthday. They've heard or they've read that if they don't do something, they're going to be penalized. More often than not, that's not the case. Just to be certain, if you work for a company with 20 or more employees and you're getting your coverage, your health coverage through an employer, you do not need to sign up for Medicare. Now, that said, I tell people Social Security would tell you that it's wise to sign up for Part A of Medicare. It would typically become effective the first of the month in which you turn 65. The only exception to that is if you were actually born on the first of a given month, because then it would be effective the first of the preceding month. That obviously, doesn't apply to a lot of people, but it does apply to some. But I tell people sign up for Part A because it gets them in the system. Getting in the system, that being the social security system, is not always as easy as you might think. You might have something in your past like a name change, trans- transfer- transposing of numbers happens from time to time. And then, so what should be an easy, straightforward process becomes a lot more difficult. So I tell people, you, you really should sign up for Part A. You can do so by going on SSA, that stands for Social Security Administration.gov backslash Medicare so that's how you can sign up do not if you continue to work do not sign up for part B I'm going to get into it a little further later but part B incurs a premium part A does not can I just interrupt for a second? Absolutely. So
0: regarding Part A, so you're saying that's a good idea for pretty much everybody to go ahead and sign up for Part A when you're approaching 65. Is there any downside or any potential downside for
1: somebody signing up for Part A if they don't need it? There, there is a potential downside, and that is if they have a health savings account. So if they have an HSA at work, and a lot of people nowadays do, and they sign up for Medicare... They're actually supposed to stop contributing to that HSA six months prior to going on Medicare. Soon as someone elects Part A, that's going on Medicare. So now they should have stopped their contributions to the HSA six months prior to that. That's a problem. But the other problem is they can no longer contribute. HSAs are tax-advantaged vehicles. They make a lot of sense. They make a lot of sense, and it's a good idea for people to take advantage of them for as long as they can. So if somebody's 65, they sign up for Part A, now they can no longer contribute to an HSA. Well, say they work five more years. So there's five years that they're not able to contribute to the HSA, and that's to their disadvantage because, as we know, HSAs play out well in terms of taxes. It also forces you to save money that's used in later life for health care expenses. And our health care expenses obviously go up as we age. They don't go down. Yes, that is
0: absolutely the case. Hey, we actually, we have a caller, Peter. Boy. We have Bill in Marshfield. Good morning, Bill.
1: How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I just got my Medicare. I always get it confused. Medicare, yeah. And I was wondering if you could dissect what you would do if you were 67 and you needed some dental work. Is there any way you could, what kind of insurance would it be under Medicare? Okay. Would it be because e- e- it's very confusing. I'm told there is help. And then I'm told, forget it, you gotta pay. Okay, so there's a reason for the mixed message, Bill, because there's two different plans that somebody can go on when they transition to Medicare. One is called the Medicare Advantage plan, the other called is a Medicare Supplement plan. Now, Medicare Supplement plan is also called a Medigap plan, and it's called that because it fills in the gaps left by Medicare. So what does that mean? That means that if Medicare doesn't cover it, neither does a Medicare supplement plan. So if you're looking at a Medicare supplement plan, that's not, that kind of a plan is not going to cover dental. Medicare Advantage plans do typically cover additional benefits. A lot of times those additional benefits are dental. For example, my wife and I are both the same age. My wife is on an Advantage plan. I'm on a supplement plan. I'm going to talk about this a bit more later, but my wife's Advantage plan will give her up to $1,000 a year reimbursement for dental. And that's found money. So it doesn't uh, essentially cover dental, but it will give up to $1,000 reimbursement, which is terrific. I tell people other than that, dental Historically, has not been a good value once somebody turns Medicare eligible. And the reason for that is because now you're no longer part of a group. You're an individual. So underwriters, when they determine what the premium is supposed to be, if you're part of a group, they can amortize that risk over a bunch of people. When you're an individual, they know that you're taking dental because you need it. It's not a question that your expenses are going to be offset by somebody else who doesn't use any dental at all. It's if you go to the dentist, they know that it's going to be expensive. As a result of that, over the years, I found that dental is usually a $50 a month premium for individuals. And then typically they cap that benefit at $1,000. So on the one hand, you're incurring $600 a year in premium. And on the other hand, you're getting a maximum of $1,000 back. I don't view that as a the, good deal. You better off at the advantage, in other words. I didn't say that. if that's your focus, if dental is your focus, then that would be a better value for you. Now, there's pluses and minuses to those two types of plans. I'm going to get involved in that a little later. But if Why that, not be listening. Okay. <laughs> that's all we can ask. Yeah, it's a maze. And when you get old, you read stuff and you go, what did that say? You know, it's surprising, Bill, that you mentioned that it's a maze because on my business card, that there's a picture of a maze. Uh-huh. And our tagline is, let us be your guide through the Medicare maze. So thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Th- thank
0: you, Bill. Good, great question.
1: Okay. So we were talking about HSAs. Yes. And so you wouldn't take elect Part A when you turn 65 if you want to continue to contribute to an HSA. So Part A makes you
0: ineligible to contribute to an HSA. And you said it also, it's retroactive six
1: months. You should stop contributing six months prior. So technically, should you go back and remove those contributions if you did it? It would ultimately be required. Okay. uh, Otherwise, you incur a penalty. Okay. So you want to obviously avoid the penalty. So I, Okay, so
0: another question on that topic. If you have a married couple, yep. and let's say the husband is 65, okay. and he's still working, but his spouse is 55, okay. and she works for a different company. All right. And she carries the health insurance for both of them, okay. And she has an HSA. Is she still eligible to contribute to the HSA well, if he signs up for Part A? She is, yes. yes. Okay, but, but it's, not him.
1: But not him. So everybody's an individual, and she's got her own health coverage through her own employer. She can, contri- can continue to do that until such time as she transitions to Medicare.
0: Because he wouldn't. He wouldn't be contributing to it anyway, because it's it's for her. It's through her health insurance. Right. But she that does not preclude her from continuing that. It does that not plan. Okay. Exactly. Exactly,
1: Thank exactly you. right. That question has come up, came up actually recently from a couple of my clients. The other thing that we're gonna go over today is when can you enroll or change plans? So I mentioned today is the first day that we get to see what the 2023 plans look like. And the middle of the month, October 15th, is the first time that you can actually enroll in one of the new plans for next month. And we're also gonna get involved in the two types of Medicare plans. Medicare Advantage plan and a Medicare supplement plan. So I mentioned years ago, I worked at Tufts Health Plan. One of the things I did before I was the retiree sales manager is I actually used to do presentations in the field going all over Massachusetts. And at that point, you have to, that presentation had to be approved by Medicare. So it was a script and you had to stick to the script. And I can remember, and you have to tell people we can't take any questions. And you told them that because you didn't want to disrupt the script. And okay, we would do the presentation. And at the end of it, almost invariably, the first question would be, so what's the difference between a Medicare Advantage plan and a Medicare Supplement plan? And I used to cringe every time I heard the question because the presentation dealt with that exact subject. So what I wanna make certain of today is that you, all of you people understand the difference. What are the basic differences between the two types of plans? and've I've done this show with you for a few years Peter and
0: I've attended your your seminars that we hold and I and I and when we go through it it makes sense but then six months later I'm like what did he say about right. about this and is right. there are a lot of moving pieces and there are it's, a lot of it's moving complicated pieces. yeah it is uh, we, we have just a couple of minutes before break but we, we can continue
1: on for another minute or two okay so the next thing I just wanted to touch on briefly so what is Medicare and how does it work so I think people know for the most part that Medicare is a federal government government insurance program, primarily for people who are 65 and older. However, it's also appropriate for people under 65 with certain special needs. So you can get Medicare if you're disabled. You need to be disabled for at least 24 months, a couple of years, and then you can go on Medicare. I need to make sure that people understand that when they just have Medicare, It does not have an annual out-of-pocket maximum. So that means the sky's the limit. You've got nothing that caps your expenses. It also doesn't include coverage outside of the United States. It doesn't include prescription coverage. And you might say, geez, I hear people on TV and they tell me that it... Covers all of those things. What covers all of those things is the plans that I mentioned. Either a Medicare supplement plan or a Medicare Advantage plan, for the most part, covers those things that we just mentioned. But Medicare, in and of itself, does not. Using Medicare as your primary insurance allows you to use any primary doctors or specialists who accept Medicare without a referral and access to the hospitals of your choice. That's one of the big differences that we're going to get into a little later between an Advantage plan and a Supplement plan. So that statement that I just made applies to when you just have Medicare, and that's what you have when you have that Medigap plan. Remember, it fills in the gaps left by Medicare. So on those types of plans, you can go to any doctor in the country That assumes they're accepting new patients, which is not always the case, but as long as they accept Medicare.
0: Peter, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to take a break in a minute here. So I just wanted to pause for a second. So you know, my name is Kirk Reed, McNamara Financial, joined today by Peter Stoner. We're talking about Medicare. Also wanted to mention that we're going to be having a Zoom seminar webinar on Thursday, October 20th at 6.30 p.m. with Peter. So if you'd like to join us, you can register on our website, McNamaraFinancial.com or call the office 781-834-2010. We'll be right back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. My name is Kirk Reed, one of the financial advisors at McNamara Financial. We have locations in Marshfield, Massachusetts, as well as Chelmsford, Massachusetts. (laughs) I'm joined today in the studio by Mr. Peter Stoner of Stoner and Company. We're talking about Medicare, and before before we get back, I just wanted to mention that we're going to be having a a webinar via Zoom on October twentieth. That's a Thursday at six thirty p.m. with Peter Stone. So, if you would like to join us for that, you can sign up on our website, which is McNamaraFinancial.com, or you can call the office at 781-834-2010 if you'd like to sign up for that. And that'll basically be, the presentation will be similar to the things we're talking about today but then I know Peter will take some questions at the end of that so it's a good opportunity if you have questions to get those answered. So Peter, before we hop back in if you want to just give out your contact info one more time in sure. case somebody somebody wants to contact
1: you directly for help navigating the maze as we've said. Terrific. My telephone number is 781 431 7550. Our website is stonermedicare. I do have a new telephone number new as of today i don't even know the number yet but it's been essentially assigned because the uh, medicare has a new rule that starts today where all calls to medicare advisors have to be recorded and as i mentioned earlier i thank joe namath for that because he's generated a lot of calls and i think some corners may have been shaved in what went on as a result of that we are all subjected now to an additional layer of scrutiny, and the calls that will come to me ultimately will be recorded. That's the new rule. Joe Namath and, and Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker, and I think was... Captain Kirk has a role to play really? in all of this as well. Yeah, I Big think he like, did uh, some. Bill Shatner? Yes. Anything he's out there too? Yeah, he's, he has an, an ad out there as well. Hi, friends. Joe Namath here. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Call the number on the bottom of your screen. It's free. It's <laughs> free. Uh,
0: <laughs> that was not Joe Namath, just for no, no. full disclosure. <laughs> wasn't Kirk or Peter times. either. What's that? <laughs> it wasn't Kirk or Peter. It either. wasn't, yeah, that was, we don't know who that was. Yeah. So. yeah. Thanks, Tim. Oh, you're welcome. Peter, this, and I just, because I know you have this highlighted on the bottom of your bio, which you haven't mentioned yet. And we haven't really got into the supplemental plans, which is, that's really your business, right? Is help, helping helping people understand Medicare in general. But then if somebody wants or needs to purchase a supplemental plan, that's that's really what your business does, is helping mm-hmm. them, uh, connecting them with the right one, with the right, because you know, there are several options and it's, and, and, and it's very complicated. and And maybe you could just, Mention about how how you get compensated uh, for for doing that.
1: So I am a consultant primarily for large companies, and I do charge a fee to them. But when people call me individuals, I act as a broker. And as a broker, I am compensated for business that I place. So one of the new disclaimers that's important, so I'm glad you brought it up, is that I represent most plans in the market. I don't represent all plans. Typically, when I show comparison, I include plans that I don't that I don't represent because I believe that people should get a full picture of the market. Unbelievable. I love it. Yeah, just I think it's essential because typically if I don't include it, people ask me and then it looks like I'm trying to hide something. Sure. So I just address it right up front. I don't. And then the email that I send people, I tell them I don't represent this plan. I've taken their information off of their website. Et cetera. But I want them to see a full picture of what's available in the market. My disclaimer says that I don't show them all because that's what I have to say. But anyhow, that's all I'm going to say on that subject. Well, no, and that's, we appreciate that. Okay,
0: so... You started, I uh, mentioned, you were talking a little bit about how you can sign a little bit earlier if you have a disability, more than two years. Yep. And then I think it looks like you're going to maybe get into part A
1: in, in a little more detail I uh, if you'd like to do that. Yep. Yeah. So go ahead. So I'm going to talk about the two parts of Medicare. I mentioned Medicare part A earlier. I also mentioned part B. Part A is hospital insurance. So this is the piece that most people sign up for when they're turning 65. And the nice thing about it is that it doesn't incur a premium. So it's a zero premium. And that's because most people have contributed to Medicare for at least 10 years. So in Medicare speak, that's 40 calendar quarters. I, know, I think of it as 10 years. Yep. So if you've done that, or if you have a spouse or even a former spouse who did that, you're entitled to Medicare Part A for zero premium. And by far and away, the vast majority of people that I speak with Don't incur a premium for Part A. Now, Part A covers hospital and skilled nursing facility stays, some home health, and hospice care. Now, it's important that I make the distinction that when I say long-term care or home health or anything like that, skilled nursing, this does not cover custodial or long-term care in a nursing home. So you have to get something separate for that, long-term care insurance. My wife and I got some long-term care insurance later than I suppose we should have, given that it tends to be less expensive the earlier you get it. We were in our 60s, and I can tell you that it's not inexpensive, but we felt it necessary. We were advised by our, our financial planner to do that. I think it's a good strategy for a lot of people, but it's something to consider. But you should know that Medicare is not going to cover that for you. Uh, I think that's a, and that's I think that's a critical
0: piece of information that is uh, quite a bit of misunderstanding out there in the in the world. Absolutely, um, pe- people just assume or think that Medicare is going to cover that stuff, and yep. and it's not. And guess what? It's really expensive. It's really um, expensive. If you need full time care, either either in your home or in a facility, that's it's a big it's a big expense,
1: and Medicare does not cover that. Absolutely. If you had Part A of Medicare. You should know that in 2022, this year, it had a deductible of $1,564. So in other words, the first day you're admitted to the hospital, if you just have Part A of Medicare, then they would hit you with that deductible. Now, the disconcerting part of that deductible is that it's not an annual deductible. It's not a one and done That Medicare deductible for Part A recurs every 60 days. So if you're admitted to the hospital, discharged, and readmitted 60 days or more thereafter, you incur that deductible all over again. Now, that deductible for next year is going up slightly to $1,600. So it's a $1,600 cost. Again, it can be renewed every 60 days theoretically somebody could get hit with that multiple times a year and the reality of it is most people that get hit with that multiple times a year are in advanced age for example I remember my father died when he was 92 and he stayed away from hospitals his whole life he didn't want anything to do with them when he hit 91 at some point he couldn't avoid it anymore so he was going back and forth to the hospital you take a fall this would happen that would happen but fortunately he had good coverage I did not supply it to them because I didn't want to get involved in that (laughs) because I knew anything that went wrong was going to be my fault and there would be additional consequences to pay. Just (laughs) if you sell a car to somebody. Absolutely. You want to make darn sure that car is in great working order. But in any event, I I just bring that up because that's typical. That happens. But early on, we tend not to incur that a lot. So you have Part A. doesn't cost anything. You have the deductible. The other part... Of Medicare's Part B. So, Part B is medical insurance, covers medically necessary services, some preventative services like doctor visits, lab tests, outpatient hospital care, and durable medical equipment. Now, significantly, Part B does incur a premium. Interestingly enough, that premium is going down slightly for next year. Really? It's going down to $164.90. It was 170 this year, right? Yes. So it was 1 uh, yeah, 170 sure. and 10 cents. Okay, 170 10 cents this, this year. year. So it's going down. Yeah, it's going down. How often has that happened that it's gone down? It happens very infrequently, but one could suggest ...that it went down because it went up too high this year. Okay. So this year, they were supposed to have included an Alzheimer's drug in Part B. And as a result of that, they were charging more to offset the cost that would be involved in providing that prescription. They never provi- provided the prescription. Okay. And as a result of it, this is regression to the mean. So really, and so like inflation hasn't doesn't have that much of an effect on how they price n- n- it? No, because okay. this is medical inflation. So the inflation that'll come later in the social security payment w- will be much more impactful than what we see here. Interesting. So this is an actual reduction in premium. Now the important thing to understand about Part B is I just mentioned next year it's going to be $164.90 premium. That's per person per month. Now that's for that applies to 70% of the people in the country. So what about the other 30%? Mm-hmm. The other 30% have been categorized as "quote unquote" high wage earners. So they make over a certain amount of money, and next year the benchmark. For a single person will be $97,000 of what's called modified adjusted gross income. That's for a single person. For a married couple, it's twice that or $194,000. All right, now you have to explain. Can you do the math for us for what MAGI is, Peter? That's called... I'm just kidding. Ma- <laughs> okay. I-, I can. Oh, you uh, can. Okay. But I don't want to. Okay, all right. I'm and, not gonna- the- and the reason I don't want to is that what I try to do is to simplify the process. Yes. That's a can of worms. And once you get involved in a can of worms, it gets complicated and you lose people. What I like to do is I like to hit them with the high points because I want them to remember it. And Magi, I can guarantee you, they're not going to remember. But say, So say the number is warmer. So for a
0: single person, a single filer... $97,000. If, if their they're, if they're MA, if their modified adjusted gross income is over 97000 Right. They're going to have a, an
1: extra premium. They're going to have an additional premium for Part B. For Part B. And they're also going to have what's called an IRMA, an additional charge for Part D. For Part D. So Part D is the premium piece of Medicare... the government subsidizes Part D. And the belief is, and I don't disagree with it, that if you're subsidizing something and somebody's making a good amount of money, then they feel that it's their obligation to claw back some of that money. And so they can distribute it amongst people who need it more. And that clawback, if you will, increases with income. So that, yeah, so that number that you mentioned, that's just the first level that's the first that's tier that's the first tier that's the bottom tier yep. it could go up so the bottom tier is $164.90 next year if you're in the maximum tier it would be almost $640 a month which is pretty Yeah. Very substantial difference. And and can you tell
0: us what the income levels are for for that premium? So
1: on that one, you have to have income as a single person of over a half a million dollars. All right. So that's a big number. That's a big number. And as a married couple, you need to have income of $750,000. So in that case, it's not twice the number as it is in all the other brackets. Okay. They, at, at three quarters of a million dollars, they'll start charging you that highest amount. And then it looks like there's three or four sort of intermediaries there. In between. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happens a lot, frankly, is that, so somebody will retire and then they'll get a buyout. Or a business owner will retire and sell his or her company. Or somebody will sell a home. And all of a sudden that gets shown in your MAGI, your modified adjusted gross income. So there is a form where you can contest that. So let's say you sold a home in, first of all, the government looks back two years. So in 2022, they're looking at your 2020 tax return. And let's say you you retired in 2021. So now here we are in 2022, you're not making what you made in 2021 because you're retired or you sold a company or you did something where your income spiked But it was an aberration. It was is not going to recur. It happened then. It's not going to happen this year. So you can contest the charge of the government and you can contest that on a form that's called SSA. Again, that stands for Social Security Administration dash 44. And I've mentioned this before. Yeah, I know you, I know there's some mnemonic. Yeah. Or some, yes, yeah. there is. Yeah. I always remember Leroy Kelly, the running back with the Cleveland Browns. Right. He was number 44, and that's how I always remember that. And I appreciate that because I think you've mentioned that that's my team. The Cleveland Cle- Browns? The Cleveland Browns, yeah. Back in the day. I would watch them all the time, but I would watch them to see Jimmy Brown. Okay, Jimmy yep. Brown was my guy, boy. He, yep, nobody could stop him. Yeah, we regressed. Yes, so digress, digress. Yes, that's true. I We're not going backwards. Regressed. We're not yet. going backwards.
0: Yeah. We digress. Move, move forward. Absolutely. Move ahead. Yeah.
1: The important thing is that you, pe- people need to contest that amount whenever it's applicable. So say, for example, this year, they're going to make a certain amount of money. Next year, they're going to make even less. So they can submit that form this year with what they project to be their income for this year. Then in January of next year, they can resubmit that form and essentially put in the new figures because it's not uncommon that those figures come down progressively as they uh, no longer are doing consulting work or something. And as a result of that, they can contest that as many times as is appropriate. So that form, the the SSA
0: 44-44, how do they submit that? Or does does it have to go through their accountant? Do they do that
1: directly to... mm -hmm. So a lot of times an accountant will come into play because they're the ones that can certify the numbers. But they send it... When you get a notice that you're going to be charged extra money, that's when you can test it, and yeah, because they're looking back two years ago,
0: which, which theoretically you were maybe working, and now maybe, maybe you're not, and so that that probably quite often a lot, yeah, a
1: lot happens yeah. a lot, yeah. So that that's one of the things that I do for people is I send them links to all of this stuff. That's one of the links I always include because only thirty percent of people nationally are high wage earners, but a very high percentage of my clients fit that profile. And as a result of that, I automatically send out that form because otherwise they think, well, I've got to wait two years. And if they wait two years, I'm told that the government will make those payments to them retroactive. But I, I'm from Missouri on that one. I, 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 it show me. Uh-huh. And as a result of that, I encourage people to be proactive.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's another one of those things that people, they know about that two-year look back, but they don't know about that form and the fact that they can contest it. Exactly. Uh, So that,
1: again, that's another important piece of information. The other important piece that people need to realize about Part B is it has that premium that we've mentioned. So if you're working for a company with 20 or more employees, and that fits the vast majority of people, you don't have to take Part B. And so you don't have to incur that premium. And yet, a number of people that I've talked to over the years have done exactly that. They've read somewhere or somebody's told them, if you don't take Part B when you turn 65, you're gonna be penalized. But if you have what's called alternative creditable coverage through an employer group, you do not have to take Part B because you can still have access to the uh, plan at work. Now, sometimes, People will take Medicare A and B because their plan at work is not that rich. Okay. Or the employer is not making a very high contribution. In other words, the employer is not subsidizing it to the point where it's a really attractive plan. Whereas they can go on Medicare and get a more attractive plan at a lower cost sometimes. So in that case, it's in the numbers, so I do a lot of analysis for people about, okay, you pay whatever at work for your policy, and you have this deductible, and you have these co-pays, and so forth. This is what you could get under Medicare. And if the math says that it's a good value, then it's worth a conversation. But the math sometimes will say it's not a good value. Your employer is subsidizing you very nicely, thank you. And you ought to stay on that plan until such time as you decide to retire. And you also need to look at coverage too, right? As you said, if the plan is not rich, so to speak,
0: exactly. you know, maybe Medicare covers a little bit more for the same or less money. And so that's, you know, that's part of the conversation.
1: It's a big part of the conversation nowadays because in recent years, in, in, in an effort to drive premium down, the health plans have put more and more deductibles onto the plan and higher deductibles as well. So if somebody's got a $3,000 deductible, really they don't have health insurance until they've spent that. And then it kicks in. Whereas Medicare can kick in dollar one sometimes. Can you
0: talk about, so if you're a married couple, right, and if somebody's covered through the spouse that has that with the 20 or more employees, they sure. can, uh, how does that work?
1: I usually in, I, I encourage those people to stay on their corporate plan, usually. Again, I'll look at the numbers. But usually they need to, they they can't abandon that health plan and keep their spouse on the plan. So typically they're the subscriber. They're the ones that is working for the company. And as a result of that, if they leave the company plan, most companies won't continue to cover the spouse. So then the spouse could go on an individual plan. But again, usually the company is subsidizing that premium to some degree. So it's usually a better value to wait until their spouse reaches 65 as well, or until such time as the person, the employee retires. So just to
0: be clear, so if I'm, say I'm turning 65 and I'm no longer, but my spouse is still working and I'm on their health insurance plan and their company is 20 or more. Okay. I don't have to apply for part B.
1: You don't have to. You I can, can stay you can on can stay my spouse's plan. On, on your spouse's yeah. plan. Okay. But in that case, usually it is a better value. Okay. Usually it's a better value because sometimes it's a 50-50 split between the subscriber and the spouse. But more often than not, the spouse is paying. More. When you look at an individual policy through the company. one, yeah. Yeah, they're paying more. So most of the time in that situation, it's a better value to go on Medicare. Okay. All right. So the other thing about Part B is... So part B has an annual deductible. So unlike the part A deductible, it's a one and done kind of thing. And again, this deductible is coming down next year. It's coming down to $226. Now you incur that deductible as a result of a doctor visit. Again, it's part B. That's the part that covers doctor visits. Usually that doesn't apply to like wellness visits. So for example, I'm on Medicare personally I'm on a Medicare supplement plan so I'm responsible for that deductible. And I went to four different doctor visits until I was finally charged that 200 it was a little less than but before they charged me the deductible. And that's because I had some minor shoulder surgery and that triggered the charge for the deductible. So again, the the income benchmarks are substantial. You can you can Google Form SSA 44. Hey, hut, hut. I'm sorry. Hey, you're right. That's it. That's it. Leroy Kelly's off. So you can Google that form and you'll see the benchmark. So you'll be able to see where you fall in and how much your charges are going to be. Okay. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is enrolling in Medicare. So you're automatically enrolled in A and B of Medicare, but only if you're collecting social security benefits before turning 65. So that used to be relatively, a lot of people used to take their social security benefits when they hit 62. But that's back in the day when the retirement age was 65. And people weren't living as long. People were not living as long. And in fact, when Medicare was introduced in 1965, they had no idea at that point that people were gonna be living as long as they they are. So they stay on Medicare substantially longer than they did back in the day. But in any event, so it used to be that it the retirement age was 65 and they've been changing that over the years so that I'm not an expert in social security, but I believe the the vested at 100% is now 66 and four months or 66 and six months. Something in that general ballpark. Yeah, for yeah, it depends on what year you were born. But yes, right. for, for a lot of the people retiring
0: now, it's about that right. point. Yes.
1: So as a result of that, people generally work until that time. So I find a lot of people that will keep working until they're eligible for their 100% vested with Social Security. Some people wait until 70 because the social security benefit continues to appreciate from 66 to 70. So in any event, automatically enrolled, doesn't happen much anymore because I don't see people taking social security at 62 much anymore. You're not automatically enrolled in Medicare A and B if you're approaching 65, but you're not receiving social security benefits. So at that point, when you are approaching 65, That's your initial election period with Medicare. And that's a seven month window. So it's three months before the month in which you turn 65. It also includes the month in which you turn 65 and seven months thereafter. So that's seven no, months after, or three months after. I'm sorry. It's a seven month window, oh. three months after.
0: All right, we got to take a break. Just wanted to mention the seminar one more time Thursday, October 20th at 6 30 via Zoom with Peter Stoner. If you'd like to join us to learn more about Medicare, call the office, 781 834 2010, or McNamaraFinancial.com. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back.